And this evening, we'll let our young people be dismissed for children's Bible time. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, just a reminder that Esther belongs between chapter 6 and 7 of Ezra. Uh, but we're in Nehemiah chapter 1. And Nehemiah chapter 1 is all about visionary leadership. Visionary leadership. <clears throat> the people of Judah are in desperate straits. They're despondent. They're discouraged. They're downtrodden. And Satan wants to isolate you by thinking you're the only one that's ever been depressed, but you are not. It goes way, way back. Jerusalem is in a terrible position. Worship has been restored. Ezra has, uh, has seen to that. He's gone back. There have been two, uh, two groups that have gone back. Nehemiah is going to lead the third. And these two groups uh, that go back, they were able to build the temple, rebuild the temple. They were able to restore worship. But the city is still in, in desperate straits. The walls are broken down. The gates are, are burned with fire. Uh, it has been a, chapter 1, and we're going to read chapter 1, and it's going to reference a scattering. Because they had, it's, it's been 150 years. And by the time you get to chapter 1, it's been 150 years since God sent the Babylonians down to scatter Israel because of disobedience. They had the 70-year Babylonian captivity, and then Ezra, over that 80-year period, had, gone, had taken those two groups back and, and restored, and now we're in, uh, we're in uh, uh, Nehemiah, uh, this first chapter, and they had permission. They had resources. They had the backing of the federal government, Persian Empire, to go back and build. What was missing? Chapter 1 tells us what is missing. Visionary leadership. And again, Nehemiah was not a preacher. And we consider him a prophet because of this book. But uh, he, he's, a, he's a layman. He's a government employee that God used to do a great work. Nehemiah was a visionary leader. He was a man that had vision. So I say that tonight to ask you the question, are you a person of vision? Are you able to see complex problems and be able to see your way through to make decisions? Are you able to help others make decisions? Are you teaching your children to make decisions? Or are you teaching them to be dependent upon you? Let me just say, you're not going to be around forever. You need to teach them to make decisions. Nehemiah is one of those guys that had the ability to do that. Again, a normal guy that's going to do an extraordinary work because he cultivated vision in his life. If there's one thing lacking in our churches today, in our homes... In America, in 2024, it is visionary leadership. Visionary leadership. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we'd be challenged this morning as we uh, go through this first chapter 
Uh, we hit the introduction last week, the highlights, but there are some powerful truths in this first chapter, the makings of a visionary leader. May we look at those qualities and aspire not just to attain them, but to cultivate them, uh, that they may grow in our own lives, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hilkiah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, uh, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant uh, that are left of the captivity... Uh, there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You like to underline or highlight in your Bible in that fourth verse, or several, you want to be a visionary leader, Ability to cry, mourn, fast, and pray. Uh, four things just in that chapter, in that verse. Verse 5, and said, O I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments, let thine ear now be attentive, let thine eyes open that thou mayest hear, again, prayer, the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, Day and night. What is that? That's a burden. And you write that out in the margin of your Bible. Visionary leaders are, are men, women, that are able not just to be burdened, but to carry a burden. Jesus Christ said, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We want to share burdens, uh, shed burdens, but we should be sharing them, shouldering them. Not trying to get out from underneath of them. He's not trying to get out from underneath of them. He's going to bear them day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants. And here's another trait of a visionary leader. He's able to confess not just his sins, but the sins of the people. And confess the sins of the children of Israel. And then he makes it collective, which we have sinned. It's on all of us. It's easy for us to say, you shouldn't have done that. This is on you, but it's not. that's not a visionary leader. Nehemiah says, this is on us. This is on me. This affects every single one of us. We have sinned. And who have we sinned against? God. Visionary leaders understand that we have sinned against God. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly. Against thee. Again, recognizing that your sin is not against me or against your wife or against your husband. Your sin is against God. The commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you. Did God scatter them? Absolutely. How many years has it been? It's been 150 years. Seventy years in captivity, eighty years in rebuilding, scattered. And as a result, when you sin, uh, there are consequences. People are hurt. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though 
there were of you cast out unto the uttermost of the heaven. Yet will I gather them from thence and bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Verse 9 tells us a visionary leader is a man of hope. Because the Bible is a message of hope. You sin, there's consequences. Uh, You do what is right, there is hope. And I don't care who you are in the room this evening, there is hope. I don't care what you've done, there is hope. I don't care how far you have strayed, there is hope. And a visionary leader is able to say that. Uh, A person who is not a visionary leader says, hey, you're done. It's over. Life is over. It's done. You might throw in the towel. You might as well go jump off a bridge because God's never going to use you. That's not a man of vision. And that's not a person that's speaking with a heart for the people. And if, and if you're going to help people rebuild, and they needed help, if, if you want to be a visionary leader, you've got to be able to look at people in desperate circumstances and be able to say, there is hope. And he's able to do that. Verse 10, Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, and by thy strong hand. It is not about... A visionary leader understands that it is not about you. It's not about him. It's about God. It's not about Nehemiah saying, Hey, I have arrived. All is well. And not about that. He's able, but he's able to say to the people, It's all about God. Why is that important in a visionary leader? Because you and I are not going to be here forever. My hair is turning gray. Brother Nelson's hair is turned loose. We're not going to be here forever. And if you drive people to trust in you and your ability, when you pass off the scene, they're going to fold. That's why a lot of churches fold when the pastor leaves. They have not pointed the people to Christ. Nehemiah is a visionary leader. He points the people to the Lord. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer. And again, a power of prayer. And a visionary leader is a man of prayer of thy servant. And to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy. And nothing the matter with praying for mercy in the sight of man. For I was the king's cupbearer. And Nehemiah ends the chapter by saying, because I'm really a nobody. In the scheme of things, we are nobody. But aren't you glad that God delights to use nobodies? So this is not a pretty outline this evening. But if you're going to be a visionary leader, three words. Vision, focus, purpose. So Nehemiah was a man of vision. He's able to focus on the problem and the purpose for which God had brought him to this time. So it's, it's desperate. I mean, they're, they're in terrible shape. Verse 2, uh, the city is, uh, is in desperate shape. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. And is, is he crying? Sure he is. But he's not, oh, I can't do anything. He, he is not hopeless. He is a man of hope. Visionary leaders, again, are men of hope. He is a problem solver. Learn how to solve problems. It's just amazing how many people can't solve basic Problems. It's, it's, it's got a solution. We have degrees. We've been to school. We've, we've taken uh, business classes and accounting classes and leadership classes. And you've got your MBA in business, but you can't make a business decision that affects your life. 
You, you, you don't have food in the cupboard, but you've got a premium cell phone plan. Business decision says, get rid of the premium cell phone so that you can eat. That's not a hard one for me because I, I like eating. Uh, the, the, the phone would be gone. Uh, be a problem solver. Learn to make decisions and then move on. Every day, every day we're faced with decisions. We typically want to get to the point where Nehemiah is that God lets you do something really big. And this is really big. But Nehemiah is here as the king's... He's here doing something big for God in the book of Nehemiah because he learned to make little decisions. If you don't learn to make little decisions, you're never going to be called upon by God or by the king to make big decisions. Can you imagine for a moment... He's the king's cupbearer, right? And the king says, is this safe to drink? Well, I hope so, maybe so, possibly so. I just can't say. I just want to take a chance. I hope it is. And Seriously, fella? Off with your head. Let's get somebody else in here who's got some confidence. Yes, sir, absolutely. I tested it myself 15 minutes ago. Nobody's touched it. I haven't taken my eyes off of it. You need absolute confidence. You can take that, king. Confidence. Where did that come from? Making little decisions. What kind of little decisions do we make? Uh, we purchase, uh, buy, buy something in the store, land, auto, groceries. Uh, every, listen, every decision is an important one. Every decision. Learn, learning to make decisions is a growing process. I'm thankful that my dad taught me uh, to make decisions. Uh, he did debriefing when we made bad decisions. He said, well, that was that was dumb. And you knew immediately that was a bad decision. And he sat you down. And he said, this is a dumb decision for the following reason. Boom, 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 boom. And I remember we were in Sandusky, Michigan. We were outside of a shoe store. And uh, Dad sent my older brother in to buy a pair of shoes. He was probably 15, 16 years of age, so I would have been 12. And we were standing outside, outside the window, and Dad was watching him. And Dad, Dad's saying, he's going to make a bad decision. You just watch. You just watch. And so we watched. And then we got to learn, so we're young, uh, what, what a bad decision looks like. And uh, so uh, my bro- brother came out with a pair of shoes, and uh, Dad says, it's a bad decision for the following reason. Boom, 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 laid it out. And he said, now, now go in and take them back and make it right. And so we learned. Uh, you make a bad decision, this is how you make it right. You've got to go back in. And uh, that was important to do. You've got to get in a haircut. I say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, I'll tell you what, back in the 1960s and 70s, there was a lot of weird hairstyles out there, just like there are today. And Dad would go to town. He said, now, you go to town, go see Mr. Mr. Dean, Mel Dean Barbershop, and uh, you, tell Mr. De- you, you tell Mr. Dean you want a haircut. And if you come back with a haircut that I don't like, I'm going to cut it for you. We go to town, sit down with Mr. Dean, and Mr. Dean would say, well, how would you like your hair cut? He said, you cut it just like Dad's. Cut it just like Dad's. Why? Because we knew that we did not want Dad cutting our hair. And you make a bad decision on your hair, Dad's going to cut it. And we're going to end up looking like uh, our brother Rick down there. <clears throat> He's going to take it all off. <clears throat> so we learned how to make decisions, and that's important. Children need to learn to make decisions. What is it called? Well, if you go in the police department or fire department or military after an event or a battle, uh, they'll do a debriefing. Why do they do that? 
So you learn from the positive things that you, you did, and you learn from the negative things that you did to do better next time around. I ask, I ask you a question. Why aren't we doing that with our kids, with our children? Why aren't we sitting them down after an event and doing a debriefing? Uh, maybe some events that you have done in your own life that didn't, didn't turn out so good. I mentioned in teachers' meeting tonight that a lot of the decisions we have to make and our children question them, we, we get defensive. Why? Sit them down. So uh, growing up, we did not have Internet access in our home. Well, I take that back. We had 30 minutes a month of Internet service. That was it, 30 minutes a month. <clears throat> Every month we had another 30 minutes. And <laughs> you'd look at the calendar and go, oh, man, we've got, got 28 more days till uh, we get Internet service again. Yes, we do. And so the children questioned my leadership. No, they didn't. They said, Dad, why can't we have good Internet like everybody else? I said, well, there's several reasons. What is that? It's a, it's a learning moment. I said, now, for starters, we are poor. Oh, we, but we could afford it. Uh, uh, no, because Dad's got different priorities. One of the priorities, Dad wants to make sure that he can tithe so he's not robbing from God. And uh, Dad wants to be able to make sure that you've got a Bible-based education. That's a priority to me. And if I had Internet every month, then I wouldn't be able to tithe, and I wouldn't be able... Uh, to provide you a God-based education, and your, and your mother likes to go out to eat once in a while, and I wouldn't be able to go out on a date with your mother, and that is very important to me, very important. And the kids would roll their eyes, and, but what was I doing? I, I wasn't offended by that. We sat down and uh, taught them that Dad has made decisions based on how it's going to affect the family. Now, it's kind of neat. Now, they all have families of their own, and uh, here, they'll call me on the phone and say, hey, Dad, I got this decision to make. And they're making it on based how it's going to affect their family spiritually, how it's going to affect their ability to minister to their family, and to hear them say, the world would think I'm nuts. Yes, they would. But, but we are a, a little bit strange. And, well, how did they learn that? They, they, they're going to learn that. Your children, your Sunday school kids, are going to learn to be a visionary leader if you can teach them how to make decisions. And a lot of that is teaching them to make decisions based on what you have done and doing that uh, debriefing time. So I'm just saying, I, I can't necessarily take credit uh, for this. And Dad just taught us, we were poor growing up, uh, I grew up in the time of party lines. How many know what a party line is? And several of you do. Mary Joint has no idea what a party line is. She thinks a party line is uh, something you go down to 7-Eleven and uh, they, they have a line up to go in to, to get a big gulp or something. <clears throat> Ask your dad. He probably knows what a party line is. I grew up a party line, a remote control on the TV. First time I ever saw one. It was a bamboo stick that was six feet long and the guy had carved out a little notch. And it was the neatest thing. He'd pick it up and he'd put it over the knob from his easy chair and he'd take the bamboo stick and he'd turn it and he'd change the channel. We were like, that is so cool. That's so cool. And that's, that's, I grew up with that. Learning how to make decisions and to do things that didn't require anything but going out in the backyard, cutting down a piece of bamboo and, and doing a little carving. <clears throat> uh, we had, uh, we had, 
Not, not cable TV. Cable TV what didn't exist yet. We, we had an antenna and rabbit ears that you didn't wear on your head. Now, some of the kids are going, rabbit ears? What are rabbit ears? You've got to go ask your parents. And uh, when we had a, a big antenna outside, uh, we had the ability to turn it in different directions so that we could get signals in different places. Now, they sold a neat motor that you could uh, climb up there and install, and you could sit down with a dial and turn it, and your antenna would turn. But we, we were poor. So what did we have? We had a pipe wrench. And it's uh, 30 degrees below zero, and it's snowing out. But one of the kids would go outside with a pipe wrench and put it on that pole, and we'd turn the pole until the people inside would <laughs> knock on the wall. And we knew we had, we had good signal. <clears throat> I'm just telling you that Dad was, was helping us to learn to make decisions so that we could better serve God. Are you teaching your children to make Good decisions. The biggest issue that I deal with here in Northern Virginia with poor people that come to the church for money, and I sit down and I talk to them about their finances, and I look in their hand, and they've got a, I don't know, iPhone 2020, 2024, whatever the big number is, and they got the three cameras on there. And I asked them, how, how much are you paying for your phone service a month? And they tell me $150 a month. I tell them, I don't want to pay for your phone. I'm not asking you to pay for my phone. I'm asking you to pay for food. Yeah, but my, my phone is $13 a month. You got a data plan? And I don't have data. Did you know that you can live in 2024 without data on your phone? You can. Say, preacher, how am I supposed to get data? Go to the library. Sit down on the computer. Your, your taxes have already paid for it. But don't come to me and say, I can't afford food. Would you buy food? Uh, no, I don't want to pay for your $150 cell phone bill. Uh, what is that? But, but people, they just say, Pastor, but this is a necessity. I don't have it. If it's a necessity, then I probably should get it for myself before I get it for you, right? It would seem, but people, people can't make, again, what is a basic business decision. And I just say, say, preacher, what does it have to do with Nehemiah? You're never going to lead a group to do something big for God if, if you can't make basic, and that's a basic little financial decision. Get rid of the data. Get rid of the cell phone. Get yourself a trash phone, a track phone, and uh, you can have service every month. You can still make a phone call, but you don't have to spend $150 a month to do it. You don't. And you can eat. It, it just, it's just quite an amazing thing to do. Calm, in calamity, and compassion are all part of what a visionary leader does. A visionary leader, next... Okay, for point number one, vision, focus, purpose. Now, here we are on point number two. Are you ready? Vision, focus, prayer. I want to do something big for God. I'm going to focus on that, and I'm going to get rid of all the fluff. I have, I have never paid for cable TV. Never. Why? Because there are more important things in the world than cable TV. 
at a $13 cell phone plan. Why? Because there are more important things in the world to me than being able to stand in the middle of the street, in the middle of the mountains in West Virginia, and be able to look at Facebook <laughs> because I have a debt plan. There are things that are more important to me. Prayer is one of those things that should be important to us. Again, verse 4, wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed. Verse 6, he was a man of prayer, and he prayed. In that, he confessed that he was a sinner. And that, in verse 7, they had dealt corruptly. And as a result, they were enduring... Brother Ray, would you close that book over there for me? They were enduring that scattering, that punishment, that... Results of, everybody's looking at you, Ray, do it quick. There you go. All right. Everybody's eyes, those of you who are on Zoom, they were, and your eyes, don't, don't look at them that way, because your eyes would have been there too if the camera, maybe the camera did go over there. I, I don't know. Vision-focused prayer. Vision-focused prayer. Verse 5, it's praise. Verse 6, it's perseverance. Verse 6 and 7, that confession, it's impenitence. And what is he doing? Verses 8, throughout the rest of the chapter, he's praying the promises of God because he believes God. Verse 11, he's getting prayer partners. I pray thee, thy servant, and thy servants. It becomes plural. All of a sudden, Nehemiah has said, it's not just enough for me to pray. I need you to pray with me. And so he's gone from one person praying to plural, multiple people praying. Did God send an answer right away? No, he did not. And so I say the ability to have a burden and to be burdened and to sustain that burden is part of visionary leadership. Not not to escape it, but to be able to sustain it. <clears throat> oh, here we are. Uh, Ms. Bishop and I have been here for 28 years, and there is hardly a month goes by that we don't have a visitor in one of the services that is here as a result of uh, effort that Mrs. Bishop and I have put into their life for years. And sometimes we don't see any fruit of that. But every once in a while, God drops us a handful on purpose. And somebody will be here in the service. And we're going to have somebody here on Sunday uh, that uh, they, uh, they said, Hey, uh, you, you knocked on our door uh, in 2006. And we're going to be in church Sunday. And I just go, wow. Wow. To be able to pray, to encourage, to sustain. And not a, a visionary leader doesn't, doesn't write people off. And it's easy to write people off, and it's easy to be an Apostle Paul, because didn't he write John Mark off? John Mark, you'll never, I'll, you'll never work for me, I'll never work for you, you'll never work for God, we'll never work for God forever, uh, together forever. Uh, God softened Paul's heart. But it took time for him to do that. Uh, we often are not visionary leaders because we can't sustain a burden over a long period of time. You get used to it, shoulder it. So I talk to people about child rearing. And this is the number one thing I hear. 
Pastor, we tried that. It doesn't work. Don't, don't make me slap you in Christian love. Uh, Christian parenting is not something you try. Bible-based Christian parenting is something you do. Week after week, month after month, year after year, sometimes decade after decade. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what does that imply? Decades of Bible-based, visionary, burden-bearing leadership uh, to be able to do that. What if, through your child or your Sunday school class or your work or the problems you're facing uh, medically or physically or financially or vehicularly, we're preparing you for for to do something greater. But before you learn that lesson, you just said, you know what, I'm tired of being the king's cupbearer. I just quit. And we wouldn't be reading about Nehemiah. And he just said, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Get on your knees, stay on your knees, sustain the burden. Uh, preacher, I'm getting old. Uh, okay, all right. The cartilage in my knee is not what it used to be. Oh, uh, that's correct. And it is not. And it gets more difficult to get down on your knees and sustain that burden. But, you know, this week the medical community put out a a neat thing. It said, if you want to have stronger knees as you get older, work on them. Get to work. If you want to have strong knees for the Lord, you just got to keep working them. Get up and down. Get to work. Get to working out. Vision, focus, purpose. Vision, focus, prayer. And point three, vision, focus, God. Again, verse 10. A visionary leader points people to God. God's power, God's might, God's grace. Because after you're gone, they're going to need help. And they're not going to find that. They should not be finding that in a man. You should be teaching them to find that in Almighty God. And again, a part of training children. So my children would call me up and say, Dad, what kind of oil does my car take? I say, you know, is there anything in your car, in the glove box? They got this book. It's called an owner's manual. If you go to the owner's manual and you look it up, you look in the back, they have a neat thing. In a book, it's called an index. And if you look under oil, it'll tell you what page number. You go to the page number and it'll tell you exactly what kind of oil and how much you need. And this is what they say, Dad, I hate it when you tell me to do something and you know, you know what it is. I do know what it is, but I want to teach them where to go for the answers because I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have ever read your owner's manual, uh, but it's in there. How many of you have read your owner's manual? Called your Bible. Are you teaching children to come to you for the answers? Or are you teaching your children in your Sunday school class to go to God for the answers? It's in the book. Let's look it up. Let me teach you how to use a concordance. Let me teach you how to use a Bible dictionary. Let me teach you how to use the tools. Let me teach you how to use the Bible to help you study the Bible. It's a, it's a great thing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he, not you, not me, he is the head of the body, the church, who is from the beginning, the first form from the dead. That, why? That in all things... He might have the preeminence. 
Why do, we, why is, why do I say a visionary people, a visionary person, a visionary leader in verse 10 points people to God? Because they do. The flip side of that is a non-visionary leader, and that's Diotrephes. And what did God say about Diotrephes? Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence. But God's not going to share that with anybody else. That's 3 John, chapter, uh, 3 John the ninth verse. verse Diotrephes, again, who loveth to have the preeminence. So what, do, what should we do? If you're going to be a visionary leader, you've got to embrace God, God's word. You're going to be a visionary leader. You've got to learn to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, Psalm 27, uh, verse 13. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he, God, is going to strengthen thine heart. Not the preacher, not your husband, not your wife, but God is going to strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Uh, Waiting on the Lord is a spiritual discipline that will help you to become a a visionary leader of Nehemiah in chapter 1. I don't know what you're going through, but your current state has not caught God by surprise. God's not up in heaven going, oh, the wellies left their Bible in the car. Oh, no, how are they going to ever survive? Uh, No, yeah, they take God by surprise. God God knew that was going to happen to you. He knew the car was going to break down. He knew knew your tire was going to go flat. He knew the roof was going to leak. And you can say, why me, why now, why this, why always me? Or you can say, I have an opportunity to teach my children not to fall apart when it seems like the world is falling apart around you. Be able to say to them, it's going to be okay. Hope God is still on the throne because that's what a visionary leader does. Or you can be like Ricky Lowe. How many of you know that name? Ricky Lowe uh, was uh, in a... He was in a car that was stolen. Uh, he was a passenger at the Fair Oaks Mall. And the uh, police were after him, and he knew it. Uh, the driver knew it, so they took off. Uh, they took off going faster than the speed of sound on eastbound Route 50. And they were trying to decide, should we run for uh, D.C. or should we run for Prince William County? They were trying to decide which is closer. And in the end, they took the path right in between the two, and uh, they went off-road. Uh, they hit an embankment. Uh, they went airborne. Uh, they flipped over upside down, and they came to rest. Uh, they were trying to go westbound on 66, but they ended up on eastbound uh, 66 entrance ramp instead. <clears throat> and so uh, they're all injured. They all go to the hospital. And this passenger, Ricky Lowe, decides, you know what? Uh, there, are, there are guns and drugs or whatever else in the stolen car. I guess he thought it was going to get pinned on him, even though he wasn't the driver. And so <clears throat> he's at Fairfax Hospital. He's in his little gown that's got the cutout section in the back. And he's got an uh, uh, IV stuck in his arm. And he says, you know... I think I need to get out of here. And so he did. He walked out of Fairfax Hospital. Uh, he walked in uh, to the ambulance park section. Uh, he got in, in an ambulance and drove away. Well, you know, I don't know if he was in trouble before, but I know he's in trouble now because he just stole an ambulance. And the ambulance has a camera in it. And uh, if you were on the news or the news websites, you know, there's a really neat, well, actually, not really neat, a really bad, grainy picture of a poor camera quality. But it's pretty obviously him, and they know who it is, and they're looking for him. And he's in deep trouble. Is that what you want to be? Deep trouble with God? Deep trouble with the law? Deep trouble in the world? Or you can be a visionary leader and make decisions that are based on God's word, even when you're in trouble. Make the right decision at the right time in the right way. That's what 
visionary leaders do. Father, help us to be visionary leaders, doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason, learning to make the small decisions about a cell phone, technology, expensive stakes, and be satisfied with making good decisions that will enable us and teach us and our children to make wise decisions that will enable us to be visionary leaders to tackle extraordinary things for you. Father, help us to do it. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You have a prayer request.